the first six verses of what is the largest book in the Bible. It paints for us a picture, or two pictures, two choices. You can choose life or you can choose death. Psalm 1 is on page 543 uh, in the Red Bibles. You can stand in a positive sense or you can stand in a negative sense in Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. You can be like a tree. You can plant yourself by God, in God's word, day and night, is what the psalmist says, and you will prosper, you will grow, your roots will grow. Or you can be like the chaff in the fields, as it says in verse four, not so the wicked, they're like chaff, the thing that blows away. At harvest time, I don't know if any of you go out into the fields, uh, the wheat, uh, the leftover stuff, is, it, it, once they chop it down, it's just there and it just blows away, it's, it's dead, there's nothing to it, there's no substance to it. And so the psalmist isn't just talking about these things of a flourishing tree by the river of life or a chaff just to paint a pretty picture. No, the psalmist is talking about them because the psalmist knows that judgment is coming and that's where the psalm ends. The the psalmist says, what are you going to be? Are you going to be like a tree or are you going to be like chaff? Because at the end of the day, it's only the tree that will be able to stand when judgment comes. meditate, plant yourself, delight in God every single day. Anything other than that is not going to be able to stand at the judgment time. So where are you going to stand? Turn with me to Psalm 40. That's on page 566. Elsewhere in the Psalms, David um, writes lots of psalms in this particular psalm he starts with thanksgiving the first three verses he reminds himself of who God is and what God has done he describes what God has done for him in his time of trouble and there's four actions in the first three verses they're on the screen behind me so it says I waited patiently for the Lord so the Lord turned to me and heard my cry the Lord hears you in times of trouble so if you're in a time of trouble at this moment or at some point in the future you come into a time of trouble whatever that might mean call out to the Lord because the Lord hears you verse 2 he lifted me out of the slimy pit out of the mud and the mire the Lord will lift you up out of trouble so you don't have to do it in your own strength It's hard enough at times when things are rubbish and things are hard to try and muster up the energy to do it. But the Lord is going to give you the strength. The Lord lifts you. And what does the Lord do? Well, the Lord sets your feet on rock for end of verse two and gives you a firm place to stand. And as you're standing, look at verse three. He puts a new song in your mouth in times of trouble so that you can declare in the middle of your storm in the middle of the battle in the middle of whatever you're facing that God is good God is great God is faithful but what rock I wonder that they're talking about that God puts on a firm place for us to stand 
to this, answer that question, I'm asking different questions at the end of each little thing I'm taking us through. To answer that question, we've got to turn to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7. Uh, that's on page 692. And here's the context of, of where we pick up Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet. Um, and there's these two nations at the northern part of Israel that are wanting to almost like join forces and start a war with God's people. They want to come and ransack Jerusalem. That's what we're told at the beginning of chapter 7. And we're told in verse 2 that the king and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken like the trees in the wind. Can you imagine that? Two nations, absolute powerhouses, joining forces, coming to want to say, right, we're going to come and take your city. It's a little bit like maybe the north of England and Scotland saying, we're going to come and take Cambridge. And the mayor of Cambridge being like, oh, no, don't know what's going on. Um, it's not quite the same, but sort of trying to make a modern-day equivalent. Um, the sovereign law says through Isaiah... He says, that's not going to happen. They're going to come and they're going to try. It's not going to happen. Be careful, he says in verse 4. Be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two nations, these two smoldering stubs coming towards you. All these different places are going to come and try and invade. But this is what the Lord says in verse 7. It will not take place. It will not happen for the head of Aram is Damascus. The head of Damascus is only resin. Within 40, 65 years, sorry, Ephraim too will be a shattered people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. And here's the crucial thing. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. If you do not stand firm in your faith, God says... Look what I've done. I've rescued you as my people out from slavery in Egypt. I've been faithful all these years. Don't stand firm in your faith in me. These people are going to come and try and, and take this city. Stand firm in your faith. Because if you don't, you're going to fall. When the battle comes, stand firm. Now you might be at the moment in life and you might be feeling like Ahaz. You might be feel like a shaken tree, whatever's happening. And to that, if that's you this evening, can I say these words that God spoke through Isaiah? And if at some point in the future you feel like you're in a battle and you feel like you're struggling, hear these words that God spoke through Isaiah. Stand firm in your faith and you will not fall. But what do you stand on? Surely you need a sign. What on earth do you stand on? Of course God knows that. Of course. So there's a little bit of an exchange between Isaiah and, um, and God. And then we, I'm going to draw our attention specifically all the way down at verse 14. It's one of the great prophecies of the Old Testament. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. 
So in the context of saying, stand, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all, God says, okay, you want a sign? I'm going to send someone. I'm going to send someone and call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And you're already thinking, you've already, you know, it says the sign of Emmanuel in your red Bibles. Well, that's, that's clearly Jesus, isn't it? Of course it is. They didn't know that though. So fast forward to Isaiah chapter 28 on page 712. You're picking up on verse 16 in chapter 28. See, God says, I lay a a stone in Zion, which is Jerusalem, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. So that same word that is used in Isaiah chapter 7, the same Hebrew word that's used in Psalm 40 and Psalm 1, is the same word that's applied here in this verse that's talking about Jesus. Flipping out, that's quality. (laughs) Talk about prophecy. And talking about God's divine spirit speaking to these different people and one day bringing it to fulfilment in Jesus. So stand on the one who is the cornerstone, the firm foundation, who's called Emmanuel, God with us. Plant yourself by that person so you can be like a tree. And it's that same person that's going to lift you up and set your feet on solid ground, Psalm 40. All of it is linking together so that you can say, I'm going to stand firm. It's the stone that God sets your feet on. It's firm, so stand. But hang on. You might be thinking, well, it's all good standing and all that. When someone stands and they speak, they often speak with authority, don't they? You know, when you're in school, someone's teaching you, um, or maybe they're giving an assembly, or even like me now, or wh- wherever, like a politician speaks in public, they stand as a sign of their authority that they've given, they've been given, and they speak. And you might be someone, like myself, who wakes up most days and thinks, I don't have a clue what to say to these people today. Particularly if someone asks me about what I believe and why I believe it. Has anyone had that, or have that regularly? I haven't most days. So we're also going to go to another prophet who had that exact same feeling. Jeremiah, chapter 1, page 756. Jeremiah was a young lad. He was a prophet as well, just like Isaiah. And the call on Jeremiah's life, when God spoke to him, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a nation to the prophets, to the nations, prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, Jeremiah says, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. Jeremiah has so little of you of himself when God clearly speaks to him. I'm too young. For some of us, that might be, I'm too old. I'm too fat. I'm too ugly. I'm too dyslexic. I'm too unintelligent, uneducated. What is your two that you often use? I can't do this because I'm too. To that, God says to Jeremiah, he's having none of it. Do not say I'm too young. 
Whatever your two is tonight, do not have any of it. God's having none of it. Because God says, you must go to everyone that I send you and say to everyone that I command you, do not be afraid of them. For I am with you always and I will rescue you. So go and speak with authority. What about stand firm? Look at verse 17. They have a little bit of exchange. God says, get up, get ready. Stand. Same Hebrew word again. Stand firm. Stand firm in what I've called you, Jeremiah. Stand firm in what I've called you, whatever your name is tonight. I'm going to give you the words and you can speak to whoever I speak you to and to whoever I command. It says in verse 17, do not be terrified because, or I will terrify them before you. Isn't that cool? Get ready, stand, stand firm. That's literally what it means in all these verses we've looked at so far. And this is just the Old Testament. We haven't even got to the best part yet. So there we go, New Testament. Is there anything to say? What about standing firm? Well, I think there's this person called Jesus who we'll come on to talk about in a moment. But Jesus was, in right throughout his ministry, he was one who stood. Stood and spoke. He stood in Luke 4 and spoke the prophet Isaiah, what he believed to be his mission. He stood and taught many people at different times. Jesus stood before Pilate and was accused of something guilty, which he wasn't of. Jesus stood and came and stood among his disciples when after he was dead for three days. Peter, then 40 days later, 50 days later at Pentecost, stood amongst the crowd and gave one of the best sermons you'll ever hear. Far better than this. Peter stood. Jesus stood. And there was lots of churches that were formed as a result of Jesus coming back to life. And one of those such churches was in Ephesus. Ephesus is um, modern-day southwest Turkey, if you know your geography of um, that part of the world. And Paul writes his letter, uh, which we have for us in our New Testament. Turn, please, with me to page 1174. Paul was so familiar... He would have knew the Old Testament like the back of his hand, literally. He would have knew Isaiah. And so at numerous points in this letter, he quotes back to Isaiah. And he quotes Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Can you see it? Verse 19. Or from verse 19, rather. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Isaiah said, see, I lay a stone that was tested and that will be a foundation, one that you will be able to rely on. So there's this immense accumulation 
through the centuries, building up to Jesus, these people realising that that's not just a prophecy in a specific time to a specific people in Isaiah. It's actually not just for the church in Ephesus, it's for us today. A chief cornerstone. On him we can stand. The thing about a cornerstone, you, might, you may or may not know this, is it's the first stone that's usually built in old traditional buildings. And it used to take a huge amount of weight. And that got me thinking, well, if Paul's describing Jesus as the cornerstone, and we know that Jesus was the one that took our sin for us and took all the weight of that on his shoulders, and we're told that Christ is the cornerstone, is the, is the basis for which the foundation of the church is built, Jesus sure can take the sin. Easy. He came back to life. So easy peasy, lemon squeezy, can Jesus take the weight of the church on his shoulders? Stand firm on Jesus, the cornerstone. But here's, here's, here's where it gets like next level exciting. All of that I've been talking about applying to yourself. And that's all good. And it's important. And we, we need to know that when we wake up on every morning of our lives and we've got to face what we've got to face. But Paul... Verse 21, look down at chapter 2. It's not just about you, it's about others, it's about together. And in him, that is Jesus, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place which God lives by his spirit. You're not on your own. Turn to the person and say, you're not on your own. We're built together. We're built in it together. In fact, we're more than in it together. We're on Jesus together, in Jesus together. And so with all of that in mind, as Paul's writing this letter, all of what I've just said about the Old Testament and this about bringing, being built together on Jesus, in Jesus... Paul finishes his letter and he writes of the armour of God in chapter 6. Paul was fully aware of what battles looked like. Not that, not that we know he ever fought on one, but the Roman Empire was huge in his day. There would have been Roman soldiers all about the streets and the different places he lived or travelled. And Many people would say that what, was the, what made the Roman Empire and the Roman army so successful was their ability to stick together on the battlefield. Here's an image of what we think uh, through different historians of what they look like. They stood together. They locked their shields together. So chapter 6 of Ephesians were coming into land just as Paul came into land at this letter. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand. Take your stand against anything that the devil's going to throw your way. And how do you take your stand? He goes on to say that, yes, of course, 
There's a battle in this world. There's different rulers and authorities and things that are going to come our way and it's going to feel like an absolute battle. And they're going to try and knock us off our feet. They're going to try and sway us. But that's why Paul says in verse 13, therefore, when that comes, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Stand your ground. And after you, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. Stand firm. I've got a little treasure chest. <laughs> stand firm. Get your belt of truth. Stick it, stick it round your waist. Where is it? There we go. Get your belt of truth. Stick it round your waist. Paul's using language that people would have been familiar with. I know this is probably not what we're used to seeing in Cambridge, is it? <laughs> Stand with the belt of truth. Stand with the breastplate of righteousness. <laughs> I'm ready for I'm I'm getting ready for battle. Stand with your feet fitted with the gospel of peace. I've got a dodgy foot. This is the gospel of peace, everybody. (laughs) Stand. You've got your shoes on. The thing about the gospel of peace is peace absolutely brings complete stillness to any war. And that's the thing that we stand on. We stand on peace. Christ is our peace. Feet fitted. Shield of faith. It's not like that. I'm very sorry. I couldn't get one in time. Helmet of salvation. (laughs) Sword of the spirit. It's matching as well, isn't it? It's good. Um, I love this. I was giving this this afternoon. Um, It's a fire breathing out of it. But that's what the word of God is. It breathes fire. It's like, I was given it, I was like, that is so on point. <laughs> Wait, joke not intended. So the thing about the Romans is they locked their shields together. They didn't, if they, I just stand on your own. Right, I'm going to take you on. Come on, come at me. But you get your mate next to you and you go, right, we're going to lock shields and we're going to stand firm and when the battle comes, when it comes and hits us, we're going to be able to do it. So if I take the hit and I'm struggling, my brother next to me, my mate next to me, my sister next to me is going to keep me there, going to keep me standing. Yes, we can stand firm on the apostles and the prophets, on Jesus, in Jesus, but we do it together. Stand firm, not on your own, together, on Jesus, in Jesus. Life is next year. I'm sure it's going to be tough for plenty of us in this room. It might be tough at this very moment. My prayer for you this evening is that you would hold on to these two words. Stand firm. And when you know it's hard for someone, stand with them. 
lock your shield next to them. So the question I asked right at the start, why do we stand when we come to church? There's lots of different reasons that can be given. Here's my answer. We stand because we stand in Jesus. We're in Jesus because we believe in him. We're standing on Jesus, on his promises. And we're standing together, locking our shields, singing that new song that Psalm 40 talks about, putting in our hearts and on our lips. And I look like a right clown. And I don't care. I'm going to finish there because there's not much else I can say. So I'd love you to just pause for a moment in the silence. Think, what has God been saying to you? I'd love it if, um, if, you're, if you, you would like to, if you feel able to, chat to the person next to you, near you. What struck you? One thing. It doesn't have to be massively profound. You don't need to be you know, massively vulnerable um, if you don't want to. If you prefer to sit in silence and continue to think, that's okay. We're in it together. So I encourage you as best as possible to share with those closest to you. What struck you? We'll chat for a couple of minutes and Matt and then Niall are going to lead us on from there.